And we're in Matthew chapter 13. Now remember for the last uh, couple of chapters, and it's going to continue for quite a while, but we've seen uh, that Jesus has been dealing with the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and they've just been following him around, looking at things to pick at, trying to catch him in his words, trying to trap him in different situations, and uh, as always, Jesus just deals with them so well. Uh, they look like they're being humble. I mean, we read it, we understand where they're coming from, but from their perspective and at the time, they called Jesus teacher. They'd call him master. They'd ask to see proof or a sign, so it looked like they were seeking after uh, truth, when the reality was they were looking for a reason to not believe. And Jesus, in the end of chapter 12, warns them that they are in a dangerous place of committing the unforgivable sin blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And we spent a lot of time talking about that, uh, so not to recap on all of it, but the unforgivable sin is, is to choose unbelief. That these guys have had evidence delivered to them. They've seen Jesus heal, they've seen miracles, they have heard him teach, and still they're going, mm, I don't think he's the Messiah. So in spite of all the evidence that's been delivered to them, they're choosing unbelief. And unbelief is the only sin that can't be forgiven. Jesus tells them that their end state will be worse than their first. And unless they change their course, unless they repent, where they're going to end up is worse. And in a physical sense, that was true. The state of Israel, the state of Jerusalem, was under Roman occupation, but it would get worse when Rome came and destroyed all of Jerusalem and scattered all of Israel. And in a spiritual sense, more seriously, they are lost in their lives, and if unrepentant, they will be lost forever. And he, he's warning them out of love, but they're just not hearing it. And I believe this is the reason that as we get into chapter 12, he teaches my favorite parable of the sower and the seed, because it explains so much about the heart of mankind, not just those Pharisees. They're in there, and we'll talk about that. But of all of mankind, that basically it breaks us all up into to four categories. And, and it's, it's powerful. But I think much of it has to do with the group that he's been dealing with, certainly the people that are there, but the religious leaders as well. Now, uh, the parables, as we get into chapter 13 are amazing, and um, they're powerful truths that Jesus puts into common things that were understood. They could be a true story, and so there are times that Jesus will tell a story, and he'll say, and there was a certain man named Lazarus, right? So he presents it as fact. This is a person that lived. Jesus knows everybody, so he's got a lot to draw from when he gives an illustration, right? But then other things, like the sower and the seed. It's, it's a story that presents truth, right? So he's not talking about necessarily a specific farmer, but the idea of what a farmer does. And again, these are great things, 
parables are powerful stories and illustrations for us to understand deep truth. And so uh, we're only going to go about halfway through the chapter, which has kind of been our pace has been as we have been making our way through Matthew. Uh, But let's pray, and we'll get into chapter 13. Lord God, we do desire to be the good soil, that your word would fall upon our hearts and our lives, and Lord, we would be changed, that we would bear good fruit. But that's the work that you want to do in us as well. And we just submit ourselves to you today. Pray that you would teach us, Holy Spirit, that you'd have your way in our lives and in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So starting in verse 1 of chapter 13, it says, On the same day Jesus went out of the house, sat by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up, and because they had no depth of earth, when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them out. But others fell on good ground, and yielded some sixty some 30, wait, wait, (laughs) try that again. But some fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixtyfold, and some 30. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Um, Matthew lets us know that this is the same day. So again, we look at chapter breaks and it's easy for us to think, oh, this is a different time or something else. And he's letting us know this is the same group of people, that a large group is gathered outside of where Jesus has been, and, and the scribes and the Pharisees have been there causing trouble. And so the same day, Jesus leaves the house, he goes out by the shore, and this crowd is gathered to him. So some that were there at the house, but others probably have come out too. Enough that he gets into a boat, backs away from the shore, and if you've never noticed, if you're... Have you ever heard somebody speak from about 20 feet offshore? It's as clear as a bell. That the way that the sound waves bounce off water makes it a natural amplifier. And so Jesus uses that technique to, to speak to this entire crowd that's gathered there. Um, and having these religious leaders there, I believe, is one of the reasons he chooses to teach them in parables. Um, now, usually, just like when we would tell a story and then we go, well, the moral of the story is, you know, you kind of wrap up the idea at the end, you draw it to a close. Jesus doesn't do that. He just tells the parable, but then he doesn't explain it, <laughs> you know, and he just kind of lets it hang there. Like, think about that. And he, with the disciples, privately, he will say, okay, this is what this means. And we're going to see him break it down for them as we continue on. But... Um, To the group, to the crowd, he doesn't really explain what it means. And there's a reason for that. As we'll see, as he goes on to talk about why he's teaching in parables, uh, he really kind of lays out 
that that there's a reason. But now with this parable here, and we're not going to break it down yet. Jesus is going to explain it all as we go on. But there are a a few things that uh, we need to understand because we don't live in this kind of culture. Uh, Unless you grew up on a farm, a lot of this stuff, you're like, I kind of get that. But in Jesus' day, everyone would have understood what he's talking about. That even if you weren't a farmer, you would have seen what was happening, and you would have seen this very common sight. This is how a, a farmer planted his field. They would go out with bags of seed, and they would broadcast it as far as they could. And it, the idea was like, hopefully it was a little bit of wind, and it would catch it, and it would just scatter the seed everywhere, right? And, and then you would till, right? The way we do it now, we till the ground, and then we cut it into rows, and they were very precise about the seeds and the placement and the depth and all these things, right? We've got machines that just nail it every time. That's not how they did it. It was broadcasting every direction. So Jesus describes the most common soils that would be around a field, right? And um, again, to the people hearing this, they would have understood. First of all, there's the wayside. The wayside is simply the path. This is, uh, could go through the field, could go around the field. This is what people and animals would walk on. And it just pounded that ground hard as concrete. Probably at one time, it was good soil, but not anymore. The next is the stony places. These are the places that are mostly rock. Uh, shallow amount of dirt. This was never good soil. It's It's, it's terrible. The third is among the thorns. And again, this would probably be on the edges of a field. This is where uh, the thorns and the weeds and all those things were constantly encroaching, trying to make their way in to the fields. And then finally, there's the good soil. I think one of the reasons I love this parable so much is because I grew up on a farm. I worked on my uncle's ranch, and I I helped out in the summers, and, and these were the kind of horrible jobs that I got as a kid on the farm. Go pick the rocks out of the field. Uh, didn't we pick all the rocks out of the field last year? Yeah, there's more. You know, the rocks just appear. There, there's a whole lot more of the stony ground than there is of the good ground, right? And then the thorns would grow up and the weeds would grow up on the edges and constantly coming in. So these are the kind of things like, I, I get this. I can picture my childhood with these things, <laughs> and they were no fun. And it's rare to have just good soil. Good soil is one of those things on a farm, it, it gets just the right amount of light, it's the right amount of soil, there's the right nutrients in the soil, the right drainage to the soil. When it rains, it doesn't flood, right? But though it's, it's pretty rare to just have good soil on its own. And again, these are things that people understood. Jesus, with his parables, uses a a wide variety of things, but all of them are things that people got, right? So he talks about planting. He talks about harvesting. He talks about baking bread, right? Everyone would go, I know exactly what you're talking about. But what Jesus is not doing, and I think this is just a, a little side note, but it's kind of important. Jesus is not taking complex ideas and simplifying them for the people, Right? That's usually what we do. When we take some really deep, heavy concept, we try and find some commonly understood thing that, that everyone will go, oh, yeah, I kind of get that. Right? We try and kind of convey the idea. 
That's not what Jesus is doing. In fact, the truths that he is speaking are not complex, but they are deep. And he's putting these deep truths in commonly understood things. But it's like he's hiding them within the story. That those that want to get it will find them. Right? So these aren't complicated things. These aren't difficult things to get. They're easily understood, but he's, he's hiding them within the story. And what that does is it causes the parable itself to become a dividing line. It allows Jesus to teach a huge crowd of people. Some of them are there because they want to hear the truth. Some of them are there because they're not sure who Jesus is. They haven't made up their mind yet. And some of them are there to be absolutely critical of everything he says. And so he can tell a parable, and those that want the truth are going to find it. Those that aren't sure yet, they're going to hear some of it, and it may bring them into an understanding. And those who are critical are just going to dismiss the whole thing as a ridiculous story. But everyone who shows up is going to get exactly what they were looking for. It's powerful. It's a great, great teaching uh, that Jesus uses here with a large crowd. Because again, they're going to get what they want. And actually, that's what this parable specifically is all about. Is that people will find what they're looking for. Now, I think it is also interesting that Jesus makes people work a little bit for it. Right? That he doesn't just spoon feed people truth. And you never, he never does. That he, he always makes them kind of want to know more. Draws us in to know who he is. And that's what the parable does as well. Right? That you hear little bits of truth and you're like, I think I get that. Wait, if that means this, then maybe that other thing means this. Right? And we got to work and it causes us to, to just get a little bit deeper. To dig a little bit more. But it, it's interesting how often we think we're supposed to spoon-feed people the gospel. To make it as simple, use small words and easy things to understand so they don't get confused. In fact, there are whole ministries that are dedicated to coming up with new ways to spoon-feed people that don't want the truth anyway. And Jesus brings this parable out to go, if you want the truth, this is it. But you've got to work for it a little bit. Verse, verse 10, he explains a little bit more. Verse 10 says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and you shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and not perceive. For your hearts, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. And their ears are hardened, hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should 
see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now the disciples, again, they're still kind of in this mode of, man, Jesus, look at the crowd showing up, right? They see that Jesus is on the climb of popularity. Crowds are getting bigger. More people are talking about who he is. And they're like, yeah, it's happening, man. We're seeing people coming in. And so this huge crowd comes and Jesus starts speaking in parables. And again, doesn't explain anything to them. Just tells the parable and is like, there it is. And so the disciples are like, what are you doing? The people came to hear you. They want to hear your teaching. They want to be impressed. You know, why are you teaching to them in parables? And that's really how the question kind of comes across. And so Jesus explains that, first of all, there's a difference between the people in the crowd, right? Within the crowd, there are different types of people, like we talked about the reasons that they're there to hear. But he also lets them know that there's a difference between the whole crowd and the disciples. That he is concealing this deep truth in the parable, and he's going to reveal it to the disciples. In verse 11, he says, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And we... Uh, give the disciples kind of a hard time. I know I do. You think about the 12 disciples, and so often we read the gospel, and you're like, guys, come on. <laughs> Pull it together. You know, they're always kind of bickering and arguing, and who's going to be on Jesus' right, and who's going to be the greatest, and whatnot. But what we need to remember, for all of their faults and all of their failings, these guys really did want to learn from Jesus. They'd given up their whole lives to follow after him. It was no small thing. And while their motives may not have always been pure, I believe that their desire to really learn from Jesus was true. And so Jesus also is letting them know that he wants to meet them there. He wants to teach them. He wants them to understand these things. And he tells them that the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven have been given to them. And that he, he wants to reveal this deep truth. And not everybody wants to know it. Even if they say they do, not everybody wants to hear it, you know? And as I was thinking about that, I thought, gosh, just think about, again, what a cool place. What an honor was given to the disciples. It was never given before that and never given after that. Not only did the disciples learn the scriptures from the one who wrote them, from Jesus himself, the creator of the universe, they learned who he was little stuff like sitting around the campfire listening to him teach or tell a story or laugh they knew how he sang they knew how he was around groups they knew how he was at feasts they knew what jesus was like when he got tired they they saw him weep they saw him laugh all these things and no one saw it before or after that that honor the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven were given to them, right? It's powerful. And 
Jesus is explaining. Again, they didn't understand a lot of that. But he is desiring for them to get it, to understand. And he wants to teach them. But not everyone there wanted those things. And to those who desired it, he would meet them there as well. Verse 12 says, For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. Whoever has the ears to hear, whoever has the heart to receive, whoever has the humility to be teachable, he's going to meet them there and teach them. He's going to meet them in that place, those that want truth, those that want the deep things, the mystery of heaven, he's going to give them more, and they will have an abundance. And we found that to be true, haven't we? I mean, when we got saved, we thought we kind of understood something about Jesus, about heaven, about eternity, and we found out we didn't know anything then, and the more we've learned, we realize there's so much more we don't know. Right? We just continue to grow. Like, Lord, I want, I want to know you more. I want to understand more of the mysteries of heaven. And he keeps pouring into us again and again. I love it. Um, but again, not everyone has that heart. Not everybody was showing up to those times of teaching with that attitude. And Jesus lets them know, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. To those who are showing up to be critical, those who are looking for a reason to not believe, what little belief they have, what little understanding they have, it'll be taken away. And then Jesus quotes from Isaiah 6. And, uh, and I think we can misunderstand sometimes the tone of what he's saying here uh, without understanding what's happening in Isaiah 6. If we just read it here, it could almost sound like he's saying, I'll speak, but I won't let them understand. I'll allow them to see, but I won't let them perceive what they see, right? That's not what's being said at all. Uh, in fact, it's very much the opposite. And just to put it a little bit into context, in Isaiah 6, Jesus is quoting from verse 9 here, but verses 1 through 8 is the calling of Isaiah. This is where Isaiah shows up at the temple and he sees the Lord filling the temple, high and exalted, angels swirling around him. And he is broken by what he sees and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. I'm a sinner surrounded by a nation of sinners. And the Lord sends an angel and he, he cleanses him. And, and it's right then that the Lord says, And whom shall we send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Me. Send me. That's Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. The message is given to him. Go and tell this people is verse 9. And that's what Jesus quotes. And if you look at what he says there in, in verse 9, or starting in verse 9, God is basically telling Israel, I dare you to open your eyes and open your ears and hear me and see me and let me heal you. I dare you. He's pleading with the nation through, is through Isaiah to humble themselves. But they won't. And so Jesus is saying, this is fulfilled now. That people 
Though Jesus is showing miracle after miracle and the very heart of God and compassion and mercy and grace, and, and there are not only the religious leaders, but others that are going, I don't know. I don't think I believe. Though they see, they refuse to proceed. And so again, he tells this parable that I think very much explains the religious leaders and really all of mankind. But he lets the disciples know, and I, I love the Lord's heart because he could kind of just kind of stop at that verse from Isaiah and it would kind of lump all of mankind together or at least lump all of Israel together. But again, he lets the disciples know in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and hear, or excuse me, see what you see and did not hear it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. And think about that again. So Isaiah, Ezekiel, King David, Moses all wanted to see the day that the Messiah would walk the earth. And even more than that, here are the 12 knuckleheads that are walking around everywhere with Jesus himself. I don't even think the, the, the righteous men and the prophets of old even considered that, I, that part of things. That, that men would be allowed to actually walk and live and be connected that, that directly with the Messiah himself. And Jesus is just letting them know, guys, you have a place that no one else has. An honor falls to you that has not been given to anyone else. All the, the people in the Old Testament that you look to and go, man, those are the heroes of the faith. They all wanted what you have right now. And we've talked about that, that in the same way, or in a different way, not to the extreme that the disciples had that closeness and personal contact with Jesus, but we have become the children of the new covenant. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. That the things that we have are the, also things that Isaiah and King David and Ezekiel and others looked to and went, oh, man, what would that be like? And we have it. We have an honor that they did not. Never want to take that for granted. Now, again, so much of what Jesus has said here comes back to this parable that he tells of the sower and the seed. It explains the generation that they were in at that time and explains all of mankind. So verse 18, we'll get into the explanation. Jesus says, Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on the stony ground is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word 
and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, each soil described here is a condition of the heart. And while it's really easy, and for the most part, Jesus is breaking people up into kind of these categories, we can look at it and go, oh yeah, I know a person like that, I know a person like this. It's also a great checklist for us as we look at all four of these. Because we can have these attitudes, we do have these attitudes, and this should be that check and balance to go, oh, no, that's not right, right? And so as we go through and break them down, uh, considering that personal application, again, the Word of God is the seed, cast in every direction. Again, I think that's a good reminder for us because so, sometimes I feel like we're a little too sparing with the seed, right? We've got the Bible, we've got the Word, we've got the truth of it, and we're like, mm, no, not for you. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I won't. I don't want to offend. I don't want to say anything. So we just, we just, we got this big pile of seed here, right? But the picture is it's being cast in every direction. It's not going to be received everywhere it goes, but it will be cast everywhere, right? It's also important to note the seed is perfect. There's nothing wrong with the seed. The problem is the soil. So the Word of God, when given the opportunity, will do its perfect work every time. But the soil that it lands on is the issue. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here. And the first is the wayside, the path. Um, doesn't receive it at all. The path used to be good soil. But it has been trodden underfoot and become hard. It's been walked on a lot. And it has become unable to receive. Word doesn't penetrate. Um, I think one thing that we get confused about, or that's a little bit confusing the way that this transfers from Greek into English, it says... Um, that they hear the word, but, they, but does not understand it. And so we could get the idea like it's somebody that they want to get it, they want to understand it, and they don't, and then the enemy comes and steals it away before they can. That's not what's being said. What they don't understand is that it applies to them. That would be a, a clearer way of us, of how we'd say it. That the word of God is cast upon their life, and they go, that's not for me. That's for other people. And so they don't receive it at all. Now that could be kind of what we use, or what I tend to think of, is the hardened criminal, the absolute sinner that's like, no, I don't want that, get that away from me. Well, that, that applies. But specifically what Jesus is pointing to are the self-righteous. That it doesn't apply to them because they've got it all figured out. That, that sure, oh yeah, that's true, but it's true for those other people. I don't need that. It's a false piety. It's a self-righteousness that has hardened them and it applies to everyone else but them. As a church, this is a church that would talk all about those dirty, rotten sinners that are out there and how they need the Word of God. But it's not taking it in to go, I'm the sinner and I need to be changed. And before they can get a second thought about maybe it applying to them, the enemy comes and steals it away. The rocky soil, 
hears the word of God and receives it with joy. This one is confusing. Well, they're all confusing from our perspective, right? But this one sounds like they take it in. They received it with joy. But the idea is they received all the stuff around it, right? They received the things that accompanied the word. This is the person in. They love the community of church. They love church stuff. And they love encouraging messages and happy things. And they love the party of of gathering together. As long as it's encouraging, as long as it's fun, they're in. This is the cruise ship kind of mentality of Christianity. (laughs) Right? Hey, I'm on board as long as we're doing something fun. Let's do it. Yay. You know, that's the kind of mentality. Again, whole churches have designed their ministry to be this, to cater to this. Let's never talk about sin. Let's never talk about the cross. Let's not talk about repentance or anything uncomfortable. Let's be seeker sensitive. Let's always make people happy. Encouraging and uplifting in all things. Why? Well, because as soon as things get hard, they leave. As soon as persecution comes, as soon as conflict comes, as soon as they have to take a stand for the word of God, they stumble and they give up. When God doesn't do what they wanted him to do, they leave. Why? Because the word had never taken root. They loved all the stuff around it, but the word of God itself had no root within their soul. Never found a place. Among the thorns is the next one. And I can't help but read this one. Every time it breaks my heart. (laughs) They hear the word and they receive it. In fact, it begins to grow in their life, but it never brings about fruit. They're so close. Man, they're so close. The word of God is there. I believe that this is a person that's saved, but just by the skin of their teeth. And what's ripping them off, there's two things that Jesus points to that is choking out the word of God. And the idea that that in comparison to these two things, the word of God seems small and insignificant. It's choked out. The first is the cares of the world. This is just the fears of life, stress. What if this happens? What about my kids? What about my job? What about the rent? These are real fears. These are real concerns, right? And so Jesus isn't saying that having these concerns is necessarily wrong, but where we take them is the problem. You know, if we're taking those those fears and those concerns to the foot of the cross, we're taking them to the Lord going, look, these are yours. I'm yours, and I'm going to trust you to take care of me. Then we're growing in our faith by doing that, right? The problem here is that these fears and the cares of this life drag this person into looking to money as their solution. It's the cares of this life, and it's the deceitfulness of riches. You don't need money to be deceived by it. In fact, usually it's because we don't have money. We're deceived to thinking it will answer our problems. We don't need money to be in love with it. 
In fact, usually it's without it that we think that will, again, fill some void in our, in our lives. And Jesus is saying that it's those cares that lead to that choice that makes the word of God seem small. That people go, yeah, yeah, that's great. I believe that. I think it's true. But you know what? I got to get the work done. I got to make the money. I got to get the, the promotion. I got stuff to do. Now, the other two, you go, well, this is what it would look like to the whole church of these people. You'd never find a whole church of these people. They're all busy freaking out somewhere. They don't have time to go to church because I got stuff. There's things I'm doing. I got plans. I got things. You know, I'm making money. I, I, I need to make money. I'm not, but I need to. And so they don't, they don't, they won't be in church. They've got too many other things that they think are more important. Again, it's the things of God seem small. They've been choked out by the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. Now, finally, there's the good soil. But he who receives the seed, verse 23. On the good soil is he who hears the word of God and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. There is a beautiful simplicity to this. Because again, the way I tend to work is overcomplicating everything, right? And so you think, well, okay, these first three, they messed up. So what are we going to do to ensure that we make sure that this works, right? What's the good soil? And come up with all the things. And there's just such a beautiful simplicity to it. Received and understood. Right? And again, the understand is they received the word of God and they went, this is for me. I understand it applies to me. Doesn't mean they understand every single detail about it. Doesn't mean they understand the Greek, the Hebrew, and all the different, what the commentators say about it. They just take in the word of God and go, it's for me. I don't know if it applies to anybody else in the room, but I know it's for me. And there's such a beautiful, powerful simplicity about that. They let the word of God do the work it was meant to do. Sink in and take root and change us from the inside out. You know, the scribes and the Pharisees were very concerned with the outside appearance, right? The robes, the presentation, and all those things. And Jesus said that they were like tombs. On the outside, beautiful, but on the inside, dead men's bones. The work that he wants to do is like the seed being planted in the soil. You don't see the work it's doing for quite a while. But it's doing the work. It's changing us from the inside out. It's changing the things that we find important. It's changing our priorities. And I, I, I've had this conversation many, many times over the years with people saying, well, why don't you talk more about politics? And why don't you talk more about this thing or that thing or this issue or those issues? Because none of those things matter. They're all on the surface. And it's up to the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit to change all of those surface things when he gets done working on the inside. He knows how to change my politics. He knows how to change my issues. He knows how to rearrange my priorities. But that's the reverse. He wants to work from the inside out. The seed, the word of God, man, it's powerful. 
That's why we focus so much on just reading the whole chapter, reading a big chunk of Scripture, studying the Scriptures themselves, because you, like, you don't need stories about my childhood or funny anecdotes or crazy ideas or new encouraging ideas and formulas. We all need the Word of God. It's the only thing that will change us. The only thing, when the Holy Spirit takes it, puts it in the good soil, man. And here's how we know if it's working. We begin to cast the seed of the Word of God in every direction. Again, not trying to take responsibility for where it falls. And I think sometimes when we read that part of the parable, we go, oh, so that, that we're going to multiply 100-fold or 60-fold or 30-fold. The idea is that we're seeing 100-fold get saved and a 60-fold get saved. That's not it. The word that's been planted in you then produces the word going out of you in that amount. Maybe nobody gets saved. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't change our calling or what we're to do. Casting the word in every direction. Jeremiah preached his heart out and no one got saved. But he did what God called him to do. Now, again, we can look at this and we can go, man, these seem like pretty clear delineated lines between these four, but honestly, they're, they're hard for us to see from our perspective. They, they don't look all that different on the outside, right? The path, the self-righteous, well, they look pretty good on the outside. They look like they got it together. The one that receives it with joy, man, they seem excited, they got lots of zeal. People among the thorns, Hey, they seem like, you know, sure, they got some stuff that's holding them back, but it's taken root. And so it's hard for us to, to know. Again, it isn't for us to know. It's for us to just be faithful to, to be the ones casting the word. And for any of those, man, somebody that's caught up in any of those three can repent and become the good soil. And I think this is the other... I mentioned earlier that on the farm, good soil doesn't just exist. Or if it does, it's in very small places. But good soil is made. Those fields that I, I picked rocks out of, you know, all of them were lined with these beautiful rock walls. And I can remember people would come and visit the ranch, and they're like, that's so cool that you guys put those rock walls for decoration around there. It's like, it's not decoration. We had to do some of those stupid rocks. And I can't throw them in the neighbor's field, so i got to put them right on the border, right? <laughs> and it becomes a wall. <laughs> He's doing the same thing. But not only is it made, you have to get the rocks out. You have to pull the thorns, and you have to break up the hard soil. You have to maintain it. Because even the best soil left to itself will become bad soil. It has to be maintained. And, and in this, I look at it and go, okay, this isn't just four different types of people. I know that even within my own heart, there are these four types of soil. There are places where the word of God falls, and man, I just go, man, that's so for me. That's so great. And it finds good soil right away. 
If I hear a message about needing forgiveness, I'm like, yes, I need forgiveness, absolutely. And I'm like, oh, I'll take that, Lord, that's for me. And then I hear another message about forgiving others, and I'm like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's for those other people. Those other people should forgive, right? And so it's a good, as I said, a check and balance to go, Lord, is this that attitude that creates the hard soil? The parts of my heart maybe been walked upon, and I'm not letting you break them up. See, because that's the work of the Holy Spirit, is that he knows how to till up the hard soil. And he knows how to pull out the thorns, and he knows how to take out the stones, and he desires to make good soil within us. The only thing that is left to us is to say, do that. Amen?